Well, today is part two in our final part of our people problems series. And as I mentioned earlier, I have avoided all people problems this Thanksgiving by deciding to get COVID. So today is going to be a little different than what we would normally have. Uh, so I pray that you'll give me a little bit of grace uh, today as I uh, share God's uh, words. So let's, let's actually pray together. Father, uh, right now you know that um, I'm weak, but we know that your word says that when we are weak, that you are strong. And Lord, we know that your word says that your word will not come back void and that there's power in your word and that your word is powerful or sharper than any double-edged sword. And so, Lord, my prayer is that not only would you give me the, the strength uh, physically and, and just uh, with the brain fog and all the kind of stuff that's going on right now, uh, just through the power of your spirit, help me to get through this message, uh, help people not to see the messenger but to hear you and your message, because again, it is powerful no matter how frail I may be. You are strong when I am weak. So Jesus, thank you in advance for what you're about to do as we hear this message. Help us not to just be hearers of your word. Help us to be doers as well. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, we started last week this uh, series called People Problems, and it's not like when you have people that like just annoy you a little bit, what we're talking about here is like major, major things that happen to you. People that drain the life right out of you. Maybe it's something that they said to you or something that was done to you. And your gut instinct is, oh, I want to get them back. I want to get some revenge towards them. If they hurt me, I'm going to hurt them. Now, as followers of Jesus, intellectually, we know that, okay, that's not what we're supposed to do. Um, so what we end up doing a lot of times is we just sort of swallow it in and we try to compress it down a little bit, um, or we actually slip and we get into that old revenge type of thinking. So I guess what I'm saying today is this, if you don't have a plan for how to handle these people problems in your life, then you're going to fail. Uh, we need to have a plan because people problems will inevitably come our way. Now, as I shared last week, this problem of trying to get even with somebody um, is actually not a really good plan if you think about it, because we're supposed to be becoming more and more like Jesus. But when somebody hurts you, you say, I want to get even with them. So what you're really saying is, I want to get even with a person that's not like Jesus. So we got to come up with a better solution, a, a different type of solution. I mean, often we don't think that there is another option. I mean, yeah, you could just try to ignore them. But the truth of the matter is, you don't just simply ignore these people problems. I mean, it keeps you up late at night thinking about it. And what ends up happening is these people are living rent-free right there inside of your head. Uh, basically, you know, their actions have now poisoned your soul. And eventually you're going to break and you're going to do something you regret or say something you regret. And it may not even be against the person that hurt you. A lot of times it's collateral damage. It's our family members, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers that you take out your frustration on them because you didn't properly deal with your people problems. That's why I said that, hey, come back because you need to hear what the solution is. Now, I thought when I said that last week, literally you would be here in the room with me as we uh, talked about that. But thank you again for tuning in online for this uh, special worship experience because the other option of not trying to get even with people, this is going to free your mind and it's going to protect your heart. So here's how we ended last week. Jesus says this in Luke 6, 27. He says, love your enemies and do good to those who do what? Do good to those who, say it out loud there or type it in in the chat. He says, do good to those who mistreat you. Jesus didn't say ignore them. 
He doesn't even just say to forgive them. He says, no, you got to go beyond that. you got to love your enemies. You need to pray for those that persecute you. And here he says, do good to those who mistreat you. Now, Jesus not only said this, but he modeled it for us as well. But Jesus isn't the only one in Scripture that actually models this type of living. There's a, a woman in the Old Testament by the name of Abigail who modeled it very, very well. Now, she is a not well-known Bible character, but she is a part of the backstory of King David. And we got introduced to her a little bit last week as we started the, the series. If you remember, as we looked at the, uh, the Scripture, this story takes place when David isn't yet the king of Israel, but he's not also the little shepherd boy that had killed Goliath. This is sort of this in-between period. And if you remember, I share with you, David had become this national hero to all the people of Israel. And basically, the prophet Samuel had come up to him at one point and said to the entire nation, that, look, one day David is going to succeed Saul as the next king. Well, that didn't make Saul very happy. He wanted his son Jonathan to be the next king. And so Saul decides he's going to kill David. Jonathan, ironically enough, helps David to escape And so now David is on the run. He's just going here and there, just, you know, hiding out wherever he can, just trying to stay away from Saul and his men. But ironically enough, what happens is other people who felt mistreated in the nation, they began to follow after David. In fact, 600 men plus women and children are now part of David's little army. Now, David at this point in life, he is angry. He's angry at his circumstances. He, he's angry with, with Saul. And he just, he's like, got this pent-up frustration. But he can't do anything to get back at Saul because King Saul's protected. Which brings us back to the story that we looked at last week. And let me remind you how the story started. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, verses 2 to 3, we read this. There was a wealthy man from Moan who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it was sheep shearing time. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was not just beautiful, but intelligent as well. But her husband was harsh and mean. Nabal was a descendant of Caleb. So if you remember from last week, Nabal was a very, very wealthy man. He's about to get even wealthier because it's sheep shearing time. And as we saw here, he owns 3,000 sheep. And so he's going to be able to shear all these sheep, and he's going to be able to sell off all this wool. He is about to get a lot, lot richer. Now, David, who was actually hiding in that region where he had this uh, sort of sheep farm, he sends some of his men to Nabal, and he says, hey, it's time for one of our Jewish festivals, and I've got a little favor that I, I would like to ask of you. Would you be willing to give us some of your sheep so that we can celebrate? Now, David actually had a valid reason for making this request. You see, he and his men had actually been protecting the Baal shepherds and and the flocks. And David says, look, we didn't steal from you. In fact, we've been protecting all of your assets. So could you spare a couple of your sheep, you know, so that we can have our Jewish celebration? David figures the Baal's increase in wealth is partially due to us and and my men protecting them. So he doesn't really think that this is an unreasonable (coughs) request. But let me read to you again the Baal's response. We saw this last week in uh, verses 10 to 11. Who is this fellow David, Nabal sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think that he is? There are lots of servants these days who run from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? 
Now, needless to say, David, he's not happy. He's already a fugitive from the law, and now somebody's called him a nobody. And you remember how David responded? Verse 13, get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped on his own. Then 400 men started off with David, and 200 remained behind to guard their camp. I mean, this is an overreaction of epic proportions. This is going to be a complete bloodbath. And, you know, as they're on their way, David is doing what you and I tend to do anytime we're about to go give somebody a piece of our mind or go get revenge to try to get even. He is rationalizing in his mind why it's okay to do what it is he's about to do or say what it is that he's about to say. He's basically saying, look, Nabal has paid me back evil for all the good I did him, so he's going to have to pay. In other words, David was going, I'm going to pay back evil with even more evil. Now, David wouldn't have thought that to himself, but yet that's exactly what he was doing, which makes him even worse than Nabal. Nabal was paying back evil for good that was done. Now David's going to pay back evil for evil. David then, he goes on, he says this in verse 22. May God strike me dead if I don't kill every last one of Nabal's men before morning. You're going, Gilbert, that is a pretty big overreaction, isn't it? The answer is absolutely. But remember, David is very, very hurt by Saul, but Saul is untouchable. David has all this pent-up anger and frustration and emotions, and so he decides he's going to take it out on someone. That's where we left off last week. Let's pick up in the story with a part that I left out intentionally. Look at verses 14 to 16. One of Nabal's servants said to Nabal's wife, Abigail, Have you heard? David sent some messengers from the wilderness with greetings for our master, but he insulted them. Yet they were very good to us. They never bothered us, and all the time we were with them in the fields, nothing that belonged to us was stolen. In fact, day and night they were like a wall of protection to us and to the sheep. And so this servant is conveying to Abigail all that we already knew, that David and his men had been very, very helpful, but that Nabal wants to repay the good that was done with evil. And then the servant continues on speaking to Abigail, and she probably gives this last part with a a bit of a whisper. Look at verse 17. Please think this over and decide what to do. This could be disastrous for our master and all of his family. He is so mean. He won't listen to anybody. Abigail understands this about her husband. I mean, she loves him, but it was probably an arranged marriage. (coughs) And she has discovered he's, he's quite the hothead. In fact, she worries about his his temper. It it gets his blood pressure up. She's worried about the condition of his heart and what his blood pressure, his bad blood pressure, is doing to his health. And so she's often left to try to clean up his message because he's just always acting impulsively. We read then in verses 18 to 19, Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, go on ahead, I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband, Nabal, what she was doing. Abigail is smart. She realizes that when word gets to David and Nabal has insulted him, that David and his men are probably on their way to wipe him out. So she's proactive, and she loads up the food truck, so to speak, all kinds of food, way more than David had even asked for. And she tells her servants, go on, take it on the road, get a head start. I'll be there. I'll catch up shortly. 
So she sends them off in the direction she knows that David will be coming from. And so basically what we got here is two groups of people coming two different directions. They're on the road. They're heading straight for one another. One way is coming a, a large food truck. The other way is 400 very, very angry men with David having just vowed that he's going to wipe out everything that is associated with Nabal. I mean, you can feel the tension building, can't you? David is still justifying this all in his mind about what he's about to do. He thinks that he's right in getting even with this guy. All of a sudden, though, on the road up ahead, he sees this huge caravan of donkeys loaded with food. And out in front, it's being led by a very beautiful woman. Verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. Now, what Abigail is going to do next is so, so powerful. And ladies, I especially want you to listen to what I'm about to say, because this little trick works on us guys all the time, even if we know it's exactly what you're doing. What she's about to do is she is going to speak to David as if though he is already the man she hopes he will become. Let me say that again. She's going to speak to David as if though he is already the man that she hopes He'll become, again, ladies, when you speak words of affirmation of who you hope your husband becomes, he'll grow into that. But if you're constantly nagging or criticizing or nitpicking, and guys, this goes for you as well, but when you're constantly speaking negative words into somebody's life, they're just going to keep living that out. But if you speak what you would like them to become, then they'll become that. So start saying things like, honey, I love how patient you are with our kids. Now, it may not be the truth yet, but they'll grow into it. Or ladies, here's one that you can say with your husband. Say, honey, I, I love that you're such a good planner. I can't wait to see what you have planned for our date night this week. Again, speak into them the things that you want to see happen. And this is the type of thing that Abigail is about to do here with David. But before we get to actually what she says, let's look at this in verses 24 and 25. She says, <coughs> sir, let me be held responsible for this wrong. Please let me speak with you. Please listen to my words. Don't pay any attention to that good-for-nothing Nabal. His name means fool, and it really fits him. I didn't see the men that you sent. Basically, she's saying, look, I know that my husband is an idiot, and if you remember last week, we looked, his, his name actually means dolt. You know, in this translation, you know, she says, he's a fool. She knew exactly who he was. And she says, look, Ed, I've been there. When your men came with their request, none of this would have ever happened. And then she starts to speak into David's life, again, of the man that she hopes David will become. Look at verse 26, the first part. She says, the Lord has kept you from spilling innocent blood and from getting a victory by your own efforts. Now look at that again. She's speaking to the future there as if though it's already happened. She says, the Lord has kept you from spilling innocent blood and from getting a victory by your own efforts. David's like, he has? And she's like, yeah, he has. He has prevented you from doing that. David, you are not the kind of guy that avenges your hurt on innocent people. I mean, you're not that kind of guy, are you, David? David's like, uh, no. The end part of verse 26, she says, now, sir, I solemnly swear as the Lord and you live, may your enemies and those who are trying to harm you end up like Nabal. In other words, let Saul, your enemy, become just as foolish as Nabal. 
saying and doing all kinds of stupid stuff that will eventually lead to his downfall because God dealt with him, not because, David, you dealt with him. By the way, I want to slip this in. At one point later on, David actually has an opportunity to kill Saul. Saul uh, has to go to the bathroom. They're out actually chasing after David. And he goes into a cave to have some privacy. Well, David happens to be hiding out in the cave with his men. And so at that moment, David could have plunged his sword right into King Saul. But he doesn't. Because he learned the lesson that you do not touch the Lord's anointed. And he's like, God brought him into the office of king. And when God's ready to take Saul out, he'll take him out. And so David, he, he really learns from this. Verse 27, please, sir, accept this present I have brought you and give it to your men. Now, she has just completely wrecked David's plans. I mean, how are you going to slaughter and pillage all the people that are actually bringing more to you than what you were getting ready to go slaughter and pillage for? Verse 28, she says, please forgive me if I say a little bit more. The Lord will always protect you and your family. Because you fight for him, I pray that you won't ever do anything evil as long as you live. And then she again does something very, very clever with her words. Look at verse 29. Even when you're chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lies of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a what? Look at that. What does she say? Like stones shot from a from a sling. See what she's doing there? First, she had reminded David that he's in God's care and that nothing can touch him. He's like in the, in the pouch of God, his treasure pouch. But then she reminds David of his 15-year-old self, the little boy, that he didn't defeat the giant man's way by taking King Saul's sword and defeating Goliath. No, he trusted God, and he did what God instructed him to do. And that was to pick up five smooth stones in his slingshot, and that is how, against all odds, he slayed the mighty Goliath. Basically, she's saying, God was faithful to you then, and he's going to be faithful to you now. He rescued you then, he's going to rescue you now. She's saying, David, David you don't really have to return evil with evil, because God has got your back. And I want to say the same thing to you. You don't have to repay evil with evil. You don't have to get even with the person that hurt you. God has got your back. And then Abigail switches gears and she talks about his future. Look at verses 30 and 31. The Lord has promised to do many good things for you, even to make you the ruler of Israel. The Lord will keep his promises to you. And now your conscience will be clear because you won't be guilty of taking revenge and killing innocent people. When the Lord does all those good things for you, please remember me. She's basically asking David the same question I asked you as we ended last week's worship experience, and that is simply this. What story do you want to tell? Do you want to tell the story that's kind of predictable, the story of you getting even with somebody, you seeking revenge against somebody, you trying to hurt your enemy in the way that they hurt you? That's what she's doing here. She's saying, David, in the future, what story do you want to tell? When you're the king, do you want to tell a story about shedding innocent blood? Or do you want to look back with a clear conscience and be able to say that you did the right thing because you trusted God? 
And it's in that moment that David comes to his senses, verses 32 and 33. David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you to me today. I just realized I didn't say any of that correctly, but that's okay. Uh, May your God, nope, still not. All right, hang in there, Gilbert, you can do this. May your good judgment be blessed. Also, may you be blessed for keeping me from slaughtering people today and from getting a victory by my own efforts. (laughs) Actually, as I'm just encouraging myself on there, um, and I said, come on, Gilbert, you can do this. No, God can do this. Um, I'm not going to get this victory by my own efforts. It's with his help. But that's what she's encouraging David here. Um, Yeah. What an amazing amazing person Abigail is here. Um, You know, all of us need an Abigail in our lives, don't we? Somebody that can speak that hard truth to us. Somebody that can talk to us about the bad decision that we're about to make. Someone who can speak the hard truth, even if it's what we don't want to hear. Someone who can remind us of God's faithfulness in the past and his promise for the future. Now, you know, I was actually tempted to skip the end of the story because, if I'm being honest, that sounds a little bit too Hollywood, uh, but it is part of history, so I'll share it with you anyway. David thanks Abigail, and she, or he sends her and, and her people home in peace, promising that he and his men are going to turn around and that her and all of her family are going to be safe. And that is exactly what happens, except for Nabal. You see, Later on, when word gets to Nabal that, you know, Abigail basically uh, saved David from coming and slaughtering, when he hears the news, he, he actually has his, his heart go out on him, and he has a heart attack, and 10 days later, he ends up dying. Now, when word gets to David, what has happened, remember, she had said, hey, remember me in the future, you know, um, I was a blessing to you, could you be a blessing to me? So David... He sends for Abigail, and he says, will you marry me? And they do get married. Now, I wish I could say that they lived happily ever after. However, that's not quite the case, but that's a story for another day. You can look that up for yourself. But my point uh, of this uh, you know, whole two-part series is this. We saw one story, one people problem that was going on, and we saw three vastly different responses You have Nabal who says, I'm going to repay the good that I was done with evil. You have David going, I'm going to repay the evil that was done to me with evil. And then you have Abigail that comes in with a much better solution. In fact, that's the model that Jesus gave us that many years later he would talk about, that we should respond to evil by actually doing good. Remember, we are to do good to those who mistreat us. So here's how I put it on your outline if you're taking notes today. Nabal's response was maniacal. David's response was predictable. Abigail's response was remarkable. Let me say that again. Nabal's response was maniacal. He was a crazy guy. David's response, predictable. And that's what I don't want you to do. Don't go to the predictable response, just trying to get even with somebody, trying to hurt your enemies. Be like Abigail. Because that's the remarkable response. So those are the three choices that we have.
But if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't really get a choice. Our only option is to pray for our enemies, love those who hate us, and do good for those who mistreat us. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for us. And now he expects us to do the same thing for others. Look, I don't know who the people uh, or the problem people are in your life. And maybe, you know, you're coming up on the holidays here and you're about to see a lot of those uh, type of people. I don't know what types of problems may arise in the future, but I'm encouraging you, don't write the predictable story, write the remarkable story, a story that's filled with love, grace, mercy, and even forgiveness. And listen, it may not actually change them, but I guarantee you here's what's going to happen. It's going to change you. It's going to do something in you, and it's going to do something for you. And in doing this remarkable thing, you're going to become more like Jesus. And really, if you think about it, that's what life is all about. Let's pray. Father, first of all, I want to personally thank you for using me as your vessel today to share your word. Um, Lord, I pray that you have taken my words that sometimes I've stumbled over and uh, who knows what mistakes I may have made here today. I hope that you've taken those words and you've translated them through your spirit to the hearts and the minds of people. And that, Lord, each and every person would have a, a practical next step that they need to take. In fact, I, I pray that right now there would be a, a name or a face that would be appearing in their mind that person that has hurt them, that person that they've always had the desire to get back at, because that person has just drained the life out of you. And Lord, as that name, as that face is in their mind, I pray that right now your Holy Spirit would just wash over each and every person that's watching this message, listening to the sound of my voice, and that we would feel supernatural peace your peace which surpasses all human understanding. Lord, I pray that in our hearts we would not just forgive them of how they've hurt us, but Lord, right now you would practically give us a next step that we can take to do good to them. What can we do good for them? Is it send them a Christmas gift? Is it an encouraging text or a card? What is it, God, that you're calling us to do? To do good to those who mistreat us. Lord, there is just something freeing when we take that practical next step of not just saying intellectually, yes, I've forgiven them, but to actually show them love. It's going to free our minds. It's going to protect our hearts. And so as I prayed at the beginning, help us today not just be hearers of your word, but be doers as well. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.